In this week's episode, Audrey Lloyd shares insights from her up-and-coming book. It's called Bold, Reign in Your Mind, Reign in Your Career. And I love the theme that drives the book and our conversation. What are you great at? And we lead that back into how you might find engagement in your workplace. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here as always to talk about business and we like to tackle those topics that most business leaders tend to shy away from. And we believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. We're here to have conversations and hear stories about how real people and real businesses operate. Before we begin, I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and my co-host today is the one and only Maggie McClurkin. Maggie, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thanks. Where's uh, where's your dog, Lincoln? Is he around? Is he in the room? He's, he's at my feet right now. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I hope he makes a little bit of an appearance later. Um, <laughs> our guest today is Audrey Lloyd. Audrey is a business and personal transformation expert. She's an advisor and coach, a professional speaker, and also author of Bold, Reign in Your Mind, Reign in Your Career. She's a communication strategist and change leader with over 25 years of experience across a ton of different industries, but always focusing on the people side of change. So I'm really excited to dig into that with you today. Welcome to the show, Audrey. Thank you. And do you have any pets around you? I do not, but I love dogs. Yes, Maggie has the best dog, and I hope you'll see later. Anyways, uh, we we like to start with some icebreakers, and uh, Maggie, I'm going to put you on the spot because, you know, I always keep these a secret until the show. So today's question for both of you, Maggie, I'll go with you first. What's your favorite food to cook? Oh, my favorite food to cook? That's a good question. Um, I really like making um, this specific banana bread recipe because I have a tendency to buy too many bananas, as we all do. I saw this TikTok recently that was like, I've reached my peak adulthood. I bought five bananas at the grocery store and I ate them all this week. Um, I don't think I've ever done that. But I always have extra bananas and it calls for three overly ripe bananas. And it's just, just, it's the best banana bread recipe I've ever had. It's got like cinnamon sugar in it and it's swirled and it's so good. Um, it only lasts about a day and a half in my house after it's made, but I love it because it's just, it feels like I'm not wasting. Well, I can't wait to try that <laughs> because I'm going to make you make me some. Audrey, same question. What's your favorite food to cook? Well, I'm not much of a baker and I don't want to be a braggadocious person, but I'm an excellent cook. So really, I like to recreate recipes. Prior to the pandemic, when I went out much more for, you know, eating out at restaurants, I would try to recreate whatever I would have Mm -hmm. at a restaurant. And I love spices from all over the world. So I can cook just about anything. I mean, I'm a vegetarian, but I would say my favorite thing to cook is probably seafood. Is there a specific seafood dish or a specific seafood type that you particularly enjoy? I'm very good at making shrimps and very, very good at making any kind of, I would say, whitefish. Mm. Yum. Fun fact about me, if there's shrimp and grits on a menu, I'm getting that no matter what else is on the menu. Most cases, Yum. most cases. Okay, so let's kick things off. Um, Audrey, obviously, um, 
I want to start with your story, I guess. I always say this and some people get intimidated because they think they have to share their whole life story. No, um, I'm curious, Audrey, tell me mainly around like what brought you here today, not to this show, but to this point in your life. Mm-hmm. What are your what are your passions? T- tell me about those. Wow, I, I love telling my story. Thank you for that. So, I mean, I like to start at the beginning. So I sound like I'm from the Midwest, but I was actually born in the UK and lived in Jamaica and the West Indies until the age of five. And Mm. then I relocated to the United States and grew up in Western Massachusetts in back of actually the old Basketball Hall of Fame. If you're a basketball fan and you know where the new Basketball Hall of Fame is Um, and, you know, went to University of Massachusetts, uh, studied journalism. Uh, went into the insurance industry straight after and have had a number of different transitions in terms of career. And most recently, well, I shouldn't say most recently because I've been coaching people all along, but most recently, as as of a year ago, I did get certified as a professional coach. And so I coach people um, at multiple levels. And in addition to that, I just recently wrote a book. And as you said, it was called, it's called Bold, Rain in Your Mind, Rain in Your Career. And so I think it's the culmination of everything that I basically have said, you know, my whole journey, you know, um, my whole career life and all the things that I have really learned that I've tried to, uh, you know, compile in that book to share. Awesome. Um, books. Wow, there are a lot. A lot of work goes into writing those and and put. What made you kind of take the plan? Like, what made you? What drove you to decide to write a book? And and tell me about that journey. Yeah, so you know, it's funny because I have written bits and pieces of this book over the last eight years, and I've always said I wanted to write a book. Um, But it took me a while, I would say, to find my voice. Like, you know, what do I have to say? It's going to be of value to people. And I absolutely love organizations and doing my work in regards to transformation and have had a a lot of lessons learned in my own personal career and has worked very, very closely with companies, particularly HR. So I've seen also, you know, the transformation in companies and, and individuals. And so I really just wanted at this point based on everything that I have seen and known to write something that was going to be really inspirational, right? And to really inspire people to really look within, to see their best self and to understand that they are unique and uniqueness is a gift and that we need more of that. You know, we don't need more of the same. We need more people who are able to be authentic and unique and offer their skills and capabilities. And of course, with pandemic, we had time, right, to reflect and think. And so mm-hmm. it was really just the right moment. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm wondering, like, just I'm sure you've heard like success stories from people who've read your book and, and you know, spoken to them and really resonated with them. What kinds of people or what kinds of success stories have you heard? Mm-hmm. Um, from just that message that's so powerful. Mm. Well, you know, a lot of what I have in the book really is from my hundreds of hours of coaching people. You know, as part mm-hmm. of the certification, you have to be uh, certified at the PCC level, professional level. You have to coach over 500 hours. And so wow. I had the privilege for people to invite me and to allow me to go on the journey with them. And so I've had so many stories and I feel like I've, I've met so many remarkable individuals that, uh, you know, they have said, yes, you helped me and I hope that I've helped them. But 
they've also helped me too, right? In sharing their stories and enable me to see that we are all really great. It's just that, you know, how they say that there are blind spots. Sometimes we have blind spots for ourselves that we really can't see our true talent and capability. And so I think that when I coach most people, because I do a lot of mindset uh, coaching as well, that, you know, many people will start out very humble and it's good to be humble. I'm humble, right? But I think along the line, just peeling back and really looking at and asking the question, what makes you great? You know, I, you know, the biggest success story for me is for an individual to come to a session and be emotional about that question, right? In, in terms of, I, I don't know how to answer that question. I, I don't really know what makes me great. And then at the end, right, of our journey together for that person to look me in the face and tell me, yeah, this is, this is what I do. This is my values. And to be very proud of that. And to also at the end of the line, get a career you know, get a, um, a position that's aligned with what they really wanted and what they're passionate about. I mean, I think that is success in itself. Mm -hmm. So I you essentially it. like you, at the root of what you do are like helping people answer that question. Like, what am I great at? Yeah. And it's not an easy question. You know, yeah. it's not, you would think that many people, because I mean, we're all, you know, these days in particular, you show your best face right? You all want to be perfect. You never want to look as if you have any imperfections. But when you really say to someone, well, tell me what, what makes you really absolutely great? What is your gift? What is your talent? It's a little bit of a pause, you know, a little bit of a pause, or you might hear the work story. And I would say, well, no, 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 don't tell me the work story in terms of what you're doing now, because that's just one step on the journey. Tell me, almost like how we started out the session, Tell me your story. What makes you great? What about your background and your heritage, where you grew up, your talents and your capabilities, what you've learned, what you've experienced, how you see the world? That's what really makes you great, right? And, and really being able to step into that and own it and make a contribution as a, re, as, as a result of leveraging that as well. I love that. I love that so much. I think, I think, um, there's like a there was a, a list of like the worst interview questions ever and all of them were just like you know every cliche you know what are your greatest strengths what are your you know like those types of questions along the way and i i don't think we ask enough what you're asking which is like who we are at our core right like who we are as people and what make what value do we bring to the table that's not related to a you know a technical skill or a you know specific experience work related like I think people have so much to offer and bring to the table as just who they are and what they bring in their character and in their, and just in what they bring to a team in terms of that dynamic. And yeah, I, I don't think that's often looked at enough. I'm curious if you've experienced Audrey, like if people are able to answer that question, what are you great at about others more easily than they're able to answer it about themselves? Yeah, I do. I do think, you know, but I would say that when you're answering that question for others, is that the public face or is that the private face, right, that you're answering that question based on? So like I said, many of us have a public face, right? So we see what people want us to see. It's very curated in regards to that. But, you know, the journey to bold, particularly with the book, is really going inside and making that assessment for yourself. And also being able to see people beyond the cosmetics of what they look like or how they're dressed 
or how they wear their hair? Can you really see them? Can you see their gifts and capabilities? Can you see their humanity? Can you see what contribution that they can make? That's really seeing people. So to answer your question at that level, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. If we go on, oh yeah, her someone's social media post or the brand that the person's wearing or how they're styling their hair, they look great. Yeah, I could say, well, Mike, she's really put together and she's very articulate and you know, she has it all. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks for answering that. I think um, one one thing I'm curious about the book. Uh, it came out late last year, correct? Is that when it was twenty? Was it so? Actually, no. <laughs> so, so you might be, um, there's another book called Bold, but my book is actually coming out. It's not out as yet. Coming out. Okay. It's excellent. Coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it's on its way out. Um, so I'm curious how much of the pandemic is, is in the book. I've asked because mm-hmm. in, in doing podcasting, even this era, it, it seems to be like everything is going to have pandemic you know flavor to it i mean it mm-hmm. it's changed it's changed everything uh there's nothing that has 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 come out unscathed or unchanged in the last two years um and in fact you know the book uh the book that we published love as a business strategy kind of came out like right like in the beginning ish of the pandemic at least we were done writing it and we actually like we talk about all the time like there's so many things we'd like to add and amend and like do a second edition to because of the pandemic. It's taught us so much, is exposed so much, and it's cool that you have a book coming out soon. I'm, did you get a chance to like really, really talk about the pandemic in your book? So um, I don't mention the word pandemic. However, sure. I do talk about the future of work a lot. And mm-hmm. I give one of the reasons to be bold, to really know who you are, your value, your capability, uh, what you can contribute, that there is a reason to be bold. And the reason is that we're going to need that in an uncertain future. And it's not to be scary, but I think the pandemic was an uncertain future, mm-hmm. right? It's, a, it's an accelerated future. And so when you know who you are and you have that foundation regardless of what's going on around you, you have an anchor, right? And so that's the take that I have on it. And that's how I brought pandemic into the fold in terms of the book. So, so outside of the book, then, you know, I'm, I'm still really curious about your perspective around how the pandemic has affected you know, the things that you've been passionate about for so long, you've been coaching for so long. So the majority of your time has been pre, I just use the word pandemic as a wholesale kind of like, you know, last two years, but you know, it's have things changed and what has and what hasn't for you. Yeah. So I think for all of us, the pandemic created a period of pause. And I think when there's pause, there's time for reflection and to get insight about yourself and um, about the world. And for myself, uh, I know that I made a commitment that during the pandemic that I was going to plant seeds, planting seeds, meaning networking, getting to know more people, getting to know more myself, gaining skills 
that I'll need coming out of the pandemic, thinking in terms of what will companies need, what will individuals need, and also being there, being there for the people that I coach, you know, because I think that, yes, I was focused on getting them because I'm an action-oriented, you know, coach, but getting them where they need to be, but also just being there for them. You know, I think the pandemic allowed me to really slow down, you know, slow down, really listen more. And as a coach, you want to be present always, but we're truly present when we have no choice, but we're at home, right? We are, we're a captured audience, right? So I think the pandemic forced that. And there are some negative things that came out of it, but I think there's some positive things as well, particularly the ability and the time that spent, you know, I'm sure for many to reflect. I love that. I think I, I relate to it quite a bit. I think it was hard for all of us, but it was a time, it was a time that felt like um, in a way you didn't have a lot of options. You didn't have a lot of choices. So you, all you can do is kind of make progress on what you had control over and you had really only control over your own mindset, your own, your own views of, and how you, how you treat, how you took each day on one at a time. So I relate to what you're saying quite a bit. Um, were you still coaching people uh, through this? I'm curious if you have any like stories or anecdotes of like coaching people, you know, especially through business changes as well, of course, but yeah. kind of as yeah. people are looking to reinvent themselves mm -hmm. during this time, like what, what are your kind of success and failure stories there? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the challenges during the pandemic is what, as with anything, when you're in something, in it, it's hard to see beyond it. And in the book, I, I talk about don't let your short-term situation define your long-term outlook. Hmm. And that is really a mantra to say, yes, today this is happening, but what do we need to do six months from now or a year from now? You know, when, you know, I do this a lot with businesses, obviously, when they look to transform, you're moving from the as-is the, the to be. And for individuals, it's the same thing. So I think it's, you know, the struggle is at times is to get people to really have that foresight, that forward vision to say, what can I see myself doing? You know, in particular, the people who had lost their job, it was a hard time. It was uncertain. And to really say that was the career or the job that you had, but can you reassemble yourself? Can you put yourself back together? to present to the world in terms of what's needed now, because some different skill sets are emerging. We know that it's particularly with future work to be actually more human, <laughs> which this is where love as a business strategy comes in is, is hot now it's now, right? Mm. That's what we need more of. And so to be able to say, yes, you have the technical capabilities, but can you listen and relate to others and understand where they're coming from? Yeah. And to be able to interpret things for people who maybe don't understand and to also be a source of also motivation for yourself and also for others as well. Yeah. Maggie, anything to add or, or. Yeah. I, I just, I love the like theme of you call yourself an expert on transformation um, and reinvention all in that, that same vein. And I just, like just taking it zooming out just a little bit um because we've been talking a lot on the individual level like how how have you seen full organizations or businesses 
go through that sort of transformation? It, it can be pre or post pandemic, but just in general, like what does that look like for an organization that wants to go through something like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, that saying it takes a village, it definitely does. It does. It definitely um, requires a village to transform. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it requires each individual to change on an individual level. Because to change the whole, you have to change yourself. And each person has to be able to say, I'm aware, I understand, I'm going to make the commitment. And I'm going to actually make the change and not just make the change, but sustain the change. Right. And so a lot of that, I mean, of course, there's methodologies and practices that we put in place for change management, particularly working with leadership teams to model the change. But it's not just the words. It's also the behaviors. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's when you think of like an organization changing, it's really, you know, literally from the inside out, like who do we really want to become? so that we can show up like that to the world, to our customers, to our partners, to and, and for each other, really as, as employees as well. So it's it's so it's a it's a journey, but it's a journey that requires many, but requires the commitment of one, right? Each individual added up together to able to turn, you know, to make things different. When I think of the words like change management and in some organizations it just carries with it a lot of you know just like uh, i mean in some organizations to me it carries that stigma of being very um surface level or or you know fake at times because you're you're, you're given directive as a job to go and communicate sometimes these cultural things that to be honest and we just talked about this it requires a level of genuinity right it requires a level of honesty and vulnerability. Um, how do you manage change management and get people engaged, um, especially in this landscape of you know the Great Resignation? These pe people are are tired of corporate mm -hmm. kind of BS. They're tired of being kind of tricked and and gaslighted and all these things. How do you get people to act like you said? It requires everybody to have a mindset change. It requires everybody to be on board. How do you get people to really believe in that? How do you get people to actually engage with you if you're, you know, a leader or if you're in a space where, you know, despite your even best intentions, they still might come off as disingenuous? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you use the word, Jeff, that I love the word engagement. And I, I say the word quite a bit in bold in the book. Um, to be engaged is critical because we know that engagement scores are low and have been low, not just in the United States, but globally, really, you know, um, what for individuals to be engaged at the heart of that is they have to be, they have to care, <laughs> they have to care, they have to have a sense of, you know, accountability for, um, for themselves, and for what the organization is trying to uh, achieve, they have to understand the reasons why they should believe and their role in that change to really to own it and the reality of the change. Because I sure. think many times people want to change, but we don't talk about what's happening now. We fast forward to what's going to be in the future, you know, if we get there, right? So I think having people really see what's in it for them, obviously, but, but you know, in the book, I talk a lot about, you know, if you're at a company that 
many people would think, well, it's the company's responsibility, it's the leader's responsibility to make sure that things happen. But as a post-pandemic future of work professional, we are accountable, and we've always said this, we're accountable for our own success, but we're also accountable for when we raise our hand and we accept a position, I would think, that we want that company to be successful, we want that company to win. And if we don't, we have to ask the question, are we in the right place? So I think I would hope that most individuals, when they understand the reasons for the change and their role in the change and how they will impact the change, that there's power in that and that's sticky and that they would make a commitment. They're actually disengaged versus disengaged, which is basically checked out. I don't care, whatever. I'll do the surface stuff, but I'm not going to really you know, do what it takes in the end. Yeah, that engagement is so important, not just for like day-to-day getting stuff done, but to really have your employees be bought in to what you're doing as a business. Like it, it's almost impossible if you can't engage your employees first. And I love that you, you, um, you just, that's such a big topic in your book. Um, Mm -hmm. But how do we engage ourselves? You know, I think that's really also the emphasis is regardless of the company, this is your Mm -hmm. career. This is your life, you know, and sure, not everyone is as passionate as as the next person. But if we don't care about what it is that we're doing. Right. Yeah, that's really your point. It is an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that connects it all, right? You said finding what you're really good at and finding what really, you know, your bold is, is seems like it connects directly to that theme of finding your own own engagement as well, right? Making sure Mm -hmm. that what you're passionate about or what you're, you have confidence Mm -hmm. in that you bring to the table is also a part of what you bring to the table for your organization. Um, So yeah, that's something to think about for me personally, especially amongst the people around me and, and for myself. So I'm already introspecting a little bit on that. (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely and you know i it's you asked me the question earlier about you know coaching individuals and successes right and coaching Mm -hmm. and i just want to come back to you know something that you said jeff that in the book i talk a lot about what i call the four v's right so the four v's is what is your vision right? What is your value? Meaning, what do you have to add? What are your skills? What are your capabilities, right? How do you want to be valued? Meaning, do I want to be compensated? Do I want my own, my own, you know, uh, company car? Do I want to be able to go to training? And what are my values? That all those things that come together, I think, really help you to really start thinking about, one, if you're interviewing an opportunity, Two, if you're at a company, in terms of the engagement bit, how can you really rally around that? Like, what, what, how would you answer those questions? And and we're seeing, especially in the survey data, you know, moving into the future, that more and more people really want to feel as if they are part of an organization where their value aligns to that organization, right? Mm-hmm. And not only that, you know, I would think that most people want to know that what they do matters. That's where your value comes in, your capabilities comes in. And it does matter. That matters to the bottom line, right? And I would think it matters to the team. And, you know, hopefully it's going to matter to the individual as well in that they're getting something out of it, not beyond just the paycheck. 
I love it. I think um, when it comes to, I just, I, I'm curious for your, just your high level take on, because this is something that I struggle with in working with and coaching with others is you have organizational change needed. So it's easy to say things like your vision aligning with the company vision, but the company is nothing more than a bunch of people as well, right? It's like, sure. like is, is it really like your vision lining up with the CEO's vision or is it your vision lining up with, you know, like a written statement? Um, I struggle sometimes with, with the individual and the, and, and the whole organization contrasts, right? And I'll give you an example of basically of, you know, I think you and I would both agree that, you know, when you want to transform a, a business, you want to transform a culture, you have to do it at the individual level. Like you have, like I think you just said, it behaviors matter and individual mindsets matter. Um, but then that collective, that collection of behaviors and, 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 and mindsets is what makes the culture, is what makes the whole organization. So how do you approach that basically is what I'm asking because um, you have many people who are, I guess, showing up to work or showing up to their their business and kind of just in a way consuming culture, or at least in their mindset, they are getting to partake in this larger culture that exists and is immovable and unchangeable or whatever. And so they're just in it for better or for worse. If it's a good culture, they get to just enjoy it. If it's a bad culture, they hate it. It's toxic. They just want to get out of it. I rarely see people kind of owning up to their piece of the contribution to culture because it is ultimately everybody's um, individual kind of contributions that make up culture. So where do you begin, I guess, like when you work with people and organizations who have problems at the organization and individual level, where, how do you tackle that? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. <laughs> Rubbing my hands together. Where do I start? So, you know, that's a really good question because I think that um, what is culture? right? Is, is culture the statement, like you said, or is it what I see and what I experience? And, you know, I was recently actually just having a conversation with someone and they were talking about um, when you go, for example, to a training event, and I'm going to make a parallel here, but when you go to a training event, you don't, you know, studies will take us, tell us that a month later, you don't remember necessarily the content, but you remember the feeling <laughs> that you got from the training event. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, and two months later, you probably have lost 90% of the content, but you kind of say, oh yeah, you know, it was really great. I, I kind of don't remember what they said though. And the parallels I parallel is, I think, is that with culture, now, I can't remember if most of the companies that I've worked for, and I've worked for really great companies, what the culture statement was, or even really the behaviors in terms of the written stance. But I do remember the feeling and I do remember how sh people showed up. And I think mm -hmm. that in cultures of high accountability, people also keep them keep each other accountable, right? Not in a bad way, not in a punishment way. But I think when you lead by example, you influence and you motivate and people are always watching those around you. And so it's almost like culture or, you know, traditions in your family, it gets passed down, right? Through stories, through what we say, how we're rewarded, how we uh, talk about people, right? And so I think that in companies, you're right, it's the individuals, the people that really live and breathe it. And they br live and breathe it, what I would like to say, through the feeling 
that you get, which I think is also intention, but it's also authentically how you show up. And when there is a toxic culture, I mean, you know what that feels like too. <laughs> it's unforgettable, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but when there's a good culture, you can sit back and say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to smile on this one because I remember my teammates. I remember how we rallied together. I remember how hard we worked. And like even in the book, I talk about when I had the great fortune of working at uh, American Standard Company, we had a great team and it felt like we had a very diverse team, but it felt like we were all, I would say, cut from the same cloth. It was like a common thread that, you know, bound us together. And what was that? thing. It was the feeling. And I think also the way we, we held each other up and we worked together and we had a personal interest in each other. Mm. Yeah. Something you said really reminded me of, I love what you said about like, um, you remember the feeling and I, I just want to share this really quick story. And Jeff knows this. I've, <laughs> I've shared this um, about this company I've worked for before. I don't know if I've shared this story, but we had these, this list of values and they were on posters all in the office. And we had to memorize them once you, when you were a new hire, like you had to memorize them. And in front of the whole company, you would be called out to like recite them in front of everyone, like as a new hire. Um, and they were all like, you know, on paper, great, like integrity, loyalty, you know, like all those like big corporate value words, but I, I couldn't tell you a single one of them right now. Like I, even though I was supposed to memorize them, but what I do remember is the fact that not a single person ever, you know, ate lunch with me the whole time I worked there. And what I do remember is that on my very last day, like after I'd quit and was leaving, um, I'd been there for a year and some girl that I worked with for a year was like, what was your name again? Like, that's what I remember um, about the culture. And like, <laughs> it's not what companies think culture is, is like making these big like gestures and coming up with these visions and mission statements and values and, and sticking them on a poster on the wall and, and calling it a day. But at the end of the day, that really did nothing <laughs> for um, this culture. I don't even remember what they said, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's really, you know, what you're saying is to, to live it, right? For the individuals mm -hmm. to really live it and just show up and exude it, you know, yeah. show me, don't tell me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Audrey, uh, before we run out of time, when does your book uh, mm -hmm. release? When do you plan on releasing that book? This month in, Feb in February. I don't have an exact oh. date as yet, but it is coming this month in February. And again, it's bold, rain in your mind, rain in mm -hmm. your career. Um, and it will be definitely available on Amazon. Excellent. Awesome. And maybe by maybe when this episode comes out, it'll kind of coincide. This could be like your launch episode. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. So please go check that out. If it's not out yet, go go look for it. If it's out, go buy it. Um, Audrey, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, very insightful stuff and and really aligned to again, you got me thinking introspectively. So I, that's always something I appreciate in these episodes and I can really reflect. Um hopefully the the listeners got the same out of it mm -hmm. um and so thank you Andrew. thank you for taking the time today jeff and maggie my pleasure thank you as well for the conversation
Absolutely. Thank uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, please be sure to check out Audrey's book and our book still on Amazon, still there. Love is a business strategy. Um, and you know, if you like the podcast, your first time here, give it a subscribe, give us a rating, tell your friends, all that stuff. Maggie, thank you for hosting me with me today. And we will see you all next week. Bye.